Information discussed in this podcast may be sensitive in nature to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Thirty-one-year-old Billy Smolinski headed to Florida on a vacation in August of 2004. He went with his girlfriend of one year, Madeline Gleason. The vacation didn't go as planned. Madeline was acting weird, and after returning home on August 22nd, Billy and Madeline broke up. On August 23rd, Billy was back at work as a tow truck driver, a little down and out about the breakup, but coworkers said he was doing just fine. Later that day, he ran into his prior long-term ex-girlfriend, Mary Ellen, and they made plans to get together the following weekend, but that would never happen. On August 24th, Billy asked his neighbor to watch his dog, saying he was going out of town. When the neighbor went to go check on the dog the next day, he couldn't find the hidden key to access the house. Worried about the dog, he contacted Billy's ex-girlfriend, Mary Ellen, since she and Billy had owned the dog together originally. Mary Ellen said it was strange that he didn't ask her to take the dog as he normally would have. Soon, everyone realized that Billy couldn't be found anywhere, although his truck and most of his belongings were left behind at the house. Authorities refused to look for Billy, saying he was an adult, and since he told someone he was going out of town, there wasn't anything they could do. So the family looked on their own, finding no sign of Billy anywhere. Where is Billy Paul Smolinski Jr.? And welcome back to another episode of the Where Are They podcast and another unsolved missing person case. This case will take us back to 2004. But now in 2023, we do have some new developments and legislation that originated due to Billy's story. In fact, that law is often called Billy's Law. Billy Smolinski's case has had a little bit of attention here and there, but overall, not really a whole lot. The TV show Disappeared featured Billy's story, but I can tell you that many families that have had loved ones featured on that program have come out and said that they were very disappointed in how much the stories were changed and altered and overall sensationalized, which is really disheartening. True Crime Garage also did a two-part podcast on his case a few years back, if you want to go check that out later for a different look at the case. But not much media other than that. Since the case has inspired Billy's Law, there was a touch of local media coverage. Although I'm curious, if you are local to Waterbury, Connecticut, how well known is this case? Is it well covered locally? And if you're not local to Waterbury, Have you heard of the case of Billy Smolinski? 
Billy Smolinski Jr. was born January 14th, 1973, and grew up in the Waterbury, Connecticut area. He has a younger sister, and he was also very close to his parents, Janice and William Sr. Billy was always the kind of kid that loved outdoor sports, hunting and fishing, snowmobiling, anything that took him outdoors, he loved. And he loved being busy. He was very active. As he grew into an adult, he was known to be the fun and spontaneous guy and generally a very likable guy too. As an adult, he still enjoyed hunting and being outside, and he was also a very hard worker. He definitely seemed like the kind of guy who was a work hard, play hard kind of person. Billy was always working. Usually he had multiple jobs. At age 26, Billy bought his own home in Waterbury, Connecticut. While dating his longtime girlfriend, Mary Ellen Noble, they would adopt a German shepherd dog together named Harley. Although Mary Ellen and Billy would break up, they did stay friends and stayed in touch, in part due to Harley, and in part because while their relationship wasn't working out as romantic partners, they were still good friends. In late 2003, Billy would start dating an older woman, Madeline Gleason. Madeline was 16 years older than Billy, but that didn't seem to hinder their relationship at all. According to friends and families of Billy's, he was very serious about the relationship and he really thought they had a future together. In August of 2004, after about a year of dating, Madeline and Billy took a vacation to Florida. Not only was this going to be a fun trip for the two of them, they had planned to visit a couple of Madeline's kids who lived in the West Palm Beach area. But while in Florida, Madeline and Billy started having problems. Madeline was being very secretive. She was constantly on her phone. She wouldn't let Billy anywhere near her phone. Billy had allegedly accused Madeline of cheating on him during this time, and it would later come out that she was. When confronted about this, an argument between the two of them would lead to a breakup, and they returned home to Connecticut on August 22nd. On August 23rd, Billy was back at work at his tow truck job. And while his coworkers said he did talk about the breakup a little bit, he didn't seem too upset by it. While at a job later that afternoon, his ex, Mary Ellen, drove by. She stopped to chat with Billy for a few minutes and he asked her if she wanted to hang out the following weekend. Mary Ellen said that she did. So they made plans. Billy seemed to need a distraction from the breakup but he otherwise seemed upbeat and okay to everybody, including Mary Ellen. But those plans would never materialize and things would get very strange in the coming days. The Disappearance In the early morning hours of August 24th, it was said that Billy went to Madeline's home and went up to her bedroom window, knocking to get her attention. When Madeline came to the window, he allegedly was very upset and was begging her to take him back. She said he would leave her home around 5 a.m. that morning, with Madeline supposedly telling him no, they were not going to get back together. I just want to mention 
This story is related in most of his missing person files and the notes when it comes to looking at the timeline of events that would happen leading up to his disappearance. But I don't know how this was confirmed, if it was just Madeline's word or if there was any other evidence that this happened. It seems odd that at 31 years old and Madeline being 46, that he would need to knock on her bedroom window to talk to her. We'll take a look at Madeline a little more shortly. Later that afternoon, we're on August 24th now, it's believed that Billy went to a Burger King for food about 3 p.m. There was a time-stamped receipt to indicate this. Then, according to a neighbor, Roy, Billy had gone over to his place around 5 p.m. He wanted to ask Roy if he could check on Harley for a few days feed the dog and make sure everything was okay because Billy was going to head up north for a few days. Roy said sure, he'd look after Harley for him, and Billy said that he would hide a key. The next day, around 10 a.m., Roy went over to Billy's house to check on Harley, but Roy couldn't find that hidden key anywhere. He was worried about the dog, so he called Mary Ellen to let her know what was going on since Harley was partly her dog too. Now, I do have questions about this. Did Roy know Mary Ellen? How did he have her phone number? I don't know. It's weird. And you'll see why in a minute. So Mary Ellen went over to Billy's place. She was concerned, but not just about Harley. Something didn't seem right at all. First, she said that Billy and Roy never really got along and that whenever Billy needed help with Harley... He would always ask her, which makes sense since Harley was also hers in a way, too. Why would you ask a neighbor that you don't particularly get along with, especially if you have another option? You have Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen was definitely confused as she headed over to Billy's place, not sure what to think at this point. But when she arrived... Right away, she noticed that Billy's white pickup truck was parked at the bottom of his driveway. I'm not sure how long his driveway was or why Roy hadn't noticed it, but she was immediately even more confused and now growing concerned. This didn't make any sense. This was his truck, his white truck that he drove every day. Why would he leave his truck there? Plus, If he was leaving town or going away for a couple days, what did he leave in if he didn't take his truck? Mary Ellen right away got in touch with Billy's family, who immediately knew themselves that something was wrong. They were very close with Billy and they spoke to him frequently. If he were going to go spontaneously out of town for a few days, they would have known about it. Plus, he just got back from Florida. Something didn't feel right to them. Since Billy had allegedly told Roy that he was going up north, they decided to contact the only friend of Billy's that they knew he had up north. And I'm not sure where up north is, but they contact Chad Hansen and Chad said that he hadn't heard or seen Billy at all. He had no idea where Billy was. So by now in a panic and filled with dread, his family went to the Waterbury Police Department to report Billy missing. The search. 
Sadly, Waterbury police said there was nothing they could do. Since Billy was an adult and he had allegedly told someone that he was going out of town for three days, they didn't consider him missing at all. They told the family to come back after the three days if he was still missing. But the family wasn't going to sit around and wait. They started the search for Billy themselves. Billy was likable. He had a bunch of friends and acquaintances. Billy also was not into drugs or drinking. This behavior didn't make any sense to them. Madeline suggested that maybe he was so depressed over their breakup that he could have been suicidal. But no one else's accounts of Billy in those past couple of days said anything of the sort. Nobody else had any inkling that Billy was depressed or suicidal in any way. But the family did also learn that the day before, he had been laid off from one of his jobs. Now, we know that he was a tow truck driver, but he had also been working for an HVAC company. It was that HVAC company that laid him off, but that tow truck company had said that they would give him more hours if he wanted them. In addition to that, Billy also did snow plowing and mowed grass on the side. He was a hard worker, and the layoff wouldn't really affect him financially, especially if he could just pick up more hours somewhere else. Still without the help of law enforcement, Billy's parents started hanging up flyers all over town. But soon they noticed that those flyers were either being vandalized or taken down altogether. Video nearby one of these flyers would show a woman and a young boy taking down the flyer. That woman was Madeline Gleason, and that young boy was her son. When confronted, she first said it was absolutely not her. She wasn't the one doing it. But later she said that she did take down the flyers near where she worked because she was feeling harassed. She was feeling targeted. She thought the family was specifically putting the flyers up to target her. So police actually warned Billy's family to stop putting up the flyers around Madeline's work, which they did for a while. But later, when Billy's mom actually put up another flyer nearby, she was arrested. That is crazy to me. It was Billy's family that did all the investigating for the first year. It was the family that found the receipt for Burger King in the trash at Billy's home. It was timestamped 3 p.m. So they went to the Burger King to see if maybe they could see surveillance, thinking maybe Billy wasn't alone or maybe it wasn't Billy at all. But of course, that footage had already been cycled over by the time the family went there. They also accessed Billy's bank records to find that no money had been taken out since he vanished and his paycheck that he had just got was deposited, but was not spent. In 2006, two years after Billy had vanished, the family hired a private investigator. They learned that early on in the case, someone had called in a tip to Crime Stoppers. This person said, that they knew that Billy had been murdered and buried. While the investigator tracked down who made that call, it was traced back to Sean Karpiuk. Sean was Madeline's son. 
Sean had also died of a heroin overdose in 2005, one year after Billy went missing and one year before it was learned that he was the tipster. So questioning Sean any further was impossible. After this, Chad Hansen came forward with a confession. He said that Sean Karpiak had murdered Billy and buried him, and he had helped cover up the crime. In 2008, Chad said that Billy's body was buried in Seymour, Connecticut, but searches there turned up nothing. In 2010, he said the body was actually in Nagatuck State Forest. Again, searches revealed no signs of Billy anywhere. In October of 2011, he led police to another location, this time in Oxford, Connecticut. After that third search revealed no clues and no Billy, Chad would be charged with imputing an investigation and would serve four and a half years in prison. Billy's family does believe that Chad was telling the truth, but he just can't clearly remember or won't admit where they buried the body. Others believe that Chad was just trying to get a plea deal, which is actually what he was doing. So the question remains, was he telling the truth? Was he telling half-truths? Does he know for sure that Billy was murdered? The family did continue to search for Billy in their own way, searching through remote areas, searching the Nagatuck River, and anywhere else they could. Another blow for the family came in 2012 when Madeline Gleason sued Billy's family for harassment and won a $52,000 settlement. The family would appeal that lawsuit, and in 2015, it was reversed. It does seem that Sean might have had a motive to harm Billy if he was intervening in his mother's love life. But did Madeline know about it? Many think that she does know more than she's saying. As the years went on, different investigators did finally pay more attention to the case, but the damage had really already been done. No early investigation was completed when the clues would have been more prominent. There was no testing of the truck for evidence or fingerprints. Nothing was done inside the house. There was no real additional questioning of any of the people that knew Billy. For instance, look at the neighbor Roy. Could he have any possible connection to any of the other persons of interest, if you will, that have surfaced in this story? Why would Billy ask Roy to watch the dog when he and Roy didn't even get along and he had Mary Ellen? Did Roy have any connection to Sean or Chad? Was that even investigated? All of this and the struggle that the family had to get help to find their son would prompt Billy's Law, which we'll look more into shortly. Before we do that, let's take a look at the area in which all of this is taking place. Waterbury, Connecticut. Waterbury is a pretty big city for the small state of Connecticut, with a population of over 100,000 people. This city sits on the Nagatuck River, just 30 miles south of the state capital of Hartford, 
and also not too far from New York City. New York City is about 77 miles southwest of Waterbury. Waterbury does have a large industrial component to it, as do a lot of cities that sit on the river. It was even once nicknamed the Brass City because of all the brassware that was made there. The Nagatuck River is a beautiful, scenic river that brings in a lot of people for its fishing. The river does look to vary greatly on depths and widths depending on where you are at on the river. And at one point during the search, an area of the river was focused on because a psychic had come forward saying they had an image of Billy bleeding from the head on the side of the river. The areas that Chad had pointed them to were also looked at extensively. The first area he told investigators was in Seymour, Connecticut. Seymour is about 10 miles south of Waterbury. Then he told the story that the body was buried in the Nagatuck State Forest. This forest consists of over 4,000 acres and is a popular recreation area for hiking, camping, fishing, and hunting, but still has a bunch of remote areas to it. Billy's home in Waterbury was only six miles from the Nagatuck State Forest. And interestingly, you have to drive through the National Forest to get to Seymour. The last place that Hansen took them to was in Oxford, Connecticut. Oxford is just outside the forest as well. All three of these areas are within 15 to 20 minutes of each other, and all three of them were heavily searched. Yet no signs of Billy was found anywhere. Chad Hansen did cause a scene in the courtroom when he realized his plea deal wasn't as he thought it was going to be. So that does make me wonder, makes a lot of people wonder, was he somehow trying to work this to his favor to get a plea deal? He has quite a criminal history, and it's possible that he was just trying to find a way out. Billy's Law Billy's family never gave up the search for answers. They do believe that their son was likely murdered, but they still want to find their son and bring him home. And answers would be nice also, of course. They also learned through their struggles just how flawed the system is for helping missing person cases. It was this struggle and process which inspired them to push for legislative change. The Smolenskys faced countless systematic challenges, most significantly federal databases about missing persons and unidentified remains that were incomplete and totally uncoordinated. These challenges brought on Billy's Law. Billy's Law was introduced to address those challenges and help ensure that the tens of thousands of American families whose loved ones go missing each year do not have to experience the same hurdles that the Smolinskis did. The lack of information, the lack of communication, and the erroneous information that they found in a lot of places as well was a constant struggle. This new law, Billy's Law, which is also known as Now Help Find the Missing Act, requires all of the information that law enforcement has about a missing person to be entered into one public-facing database that would also offer direct access to the families of the missing person. 
This law was recently supported by the Gabby Petito Foundation, which helped bring more attention to it recently. On December 27th, 2022, the bill was officially signed into law by the president. This year, 2023, should see a lot of these changes being implemented across the United States. I still find it hard to believe that here we are in 2023 and this family still has no answers on where their son is or where their brother is. What do you think happened to Billy Smolinski Jr.? Billy Smolinski went missing in August of 2004. He was 31 years old then and would today be 50 years old. Billy is described as a Caucasian male, six feet tall, short brown hair, and blue eyes. He weighed around 200 pounds at the time he was last seen. Billy was likely wearing a small diamond earring, a gold chain rope-style necklace with a cross pendant, and possibly blue jeans, a blue denim shirt, and work boots. He has a tattoo of a blue cross outlined in orange on his left shoulder and a tattoo of a cross with the name Pruitt inside on his right forearm. Anyone with any information on the whereabouts of Billy is asked to contact the Waterbury Police Department at 203-574-6941. There are new detectives on the case, and although the early neglect of the case in 2004 and 2005 definitely present challenges today, Law enforcement is still working the case and hoping to find answers for the Smolinski family. Thank you all so much for listening to Billy's story today. I have the utmost respect and admiration for the Smolinski family who has battled through so much, yet turn their energy into something positive, something to help other families to not have to go through what they went through. Please stay tuned to our social media. We will keep up on any new findings in the case and post any updates over there. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, you can find bonus episodes available on our Patreon channel. Those episodes will also be made available to podcast subscribers. So you have two ways to get those shows if you are interested. I'll have the link in the show notes. If you've made it this far and appreciate the coverage of these cases, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast platform. This helps the cases be seen by more people and even more importantly, helps the names of the missing rank higher in Google searches. Any feedback or case suggestions can always be sent over to canwefindthem at gmail.com. As always, I appreciate your continued support in helping us spread the word on these cases. So many unsolved cases out there just waiting on that one tip. We will be back again soon with another Unsolved Missing Person episode. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.